of the battle. He's not afraid of the battle or he wouldn't send the people to battle you. See, and it's not the battle that we need to be afraid of. Because if you took the time to study and research and pray, then you could possibly win the battle. You would at least, at the very worst, call it a draw if you could answer all the questions. Satan wants every Christian to look ignorant. before others when it comes to talking about Jesus? God tells us that we should speak up and give a defense for the hope that is within us. The enemy loves to shame and embarrass believers in front of the world. He loves to create fear within the heart of a Christian. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God tells us in his word that he will give freely to whoever desires to have wisdom concerning his word and himself. In today's message, Pastor Mark will warn us of the intimidation of the enemy and will remind us that we don't need to allow them to dishearten us. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11 with today's edition of Come Alive. Open up to 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 11. There were these two hunters. Um, They were out hunting buddies and they came across a bear, a real big bear, so big that it scared them. They dropped their rifles and they ran for cover. And one man climbed a tree while the other one hid in a nearby cave. And so this bear was in no hurry to eat. And so he sat down between the tree and the cave to reflect upon his good fortune. Suddenly and for no reason, the guy in the cave comes running out as fast as he possibly can. And he almost runs into the waiting bear and looks up and he hesitates for a moment. And he dashes back into the cave. And then a little while later, he does it again, runs out and slides in the dirt and almost hits the bear and backpedals a little bit and turns around and runs back into the cave. And then a third time he does it and a fourth time and his friend up in the tree saw him emerge that fifth time. He says, hey man, what are you doing? Are you, are, are you crazy? And his buddy looks at him and says, no, I'm not crazy. And he runs back in the cave and he comes out the next time. He's like, Woody, what are you doing? You've got to be crazy. He's like, no, I'm not crazy. And he starts to pant. He goes, there's a bear in there also. So, you know, sometimes you got to weigh your options. And today that's what we're going to look at. When you get in those bad situations, you can, you, you'll compromise. You'll do things that are crazy. And so... These, just like these two hunters, they were powerless over their situation. So in our text today, we see God's people in a very bad situation. They're powerless up to a point over their situation. So some of us, we came to accept the salvation that Jesus paid for all of us, paid for all of heaven and celebrates. But on the other hand, all of hell will now try to retaliate. So as heaven celebrates the salvation of a believer hell is going to try to retaliate and so they hell comes after us because you know you think about it we have become defectors we've moved over to the other side and you might think well I wasn't that evil I never killed anyone and did bad things but it doesn't matter 
Uh, we know that you, by doing nothing, and even in the church, we say, you know, that Satan's out in the world. No, he's in the church. He, he has taken the legs out from underneath the church and, and made it just kind of, well, crippled, so to speak. It doesn't move like it needs to move. It doesn't act the way it needs to act. And so we as the church, you know, Randy said it's beginning to look like a church. And I made a joke with Steve and I said, now it's time for us to be the church. You know, as this place starts to look like a church, let us start to look like a church as well. Because we are the church, right? We are the church. This is just a building. Nothing special happens. I've come in here on a Tuesday night and sat here. It doesn't glow I've walked all around it. I didn't have to tie a rope around my waist, and my wife and kids are out in the back waiting for me to enter into the Holy of Holies. Nothing happened. The alarm rang, and it was a mouse. That was the only thing that ran across the floor. So it's, if anything, a roach motel or a mouse trap at best when we're not here. But it's the church when you walk through the doors. Is it perfect? Well, yes, the idea is. But the minute you and I, too imperfect or 40 or however many people are here, imperfect human beings walk through these doors, it's not perfect anymore. And so that's where the Lord says, hey, I'm relying on your weakness, and I'm relying on you to lean on me so we can do what we need to do so we can be strong. And so he gives us that strength. And so sometimes hell retaliates, and we have these bad situations that happen. And so the life we live becomes a war zone, spiritually speaking. And so each and every one of us are in a war zone. And today we're going to see how Saul handles this and what happens. And so far, for that same reason, Saul starts his new position with a war. Let's read chapter 11 of 1 Samuel. It says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this one condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. So here we see that, you know, you think that, man, what is going on? Well, Nahash, he's a, he's a warrior. And, and if you study this guy, Nahash, and who he is, he's a bad guy. I mean, just think about it. We, we read the news over in Africa and some of those places where there's some really bad guys doing some really bad things to seemingly good people. And it's the same situation here. It's the same situation that's taken place century after century. There's always a bully there's always somebody picking on someone. So Nahash, he's a, he, he didn't lose any wars. He's never lost a war. So Nahash, this bad guy, he shows up to harass and threaten war and is willing to accept and even make a covenant with these guys. And you might think, well, why would he be willing to do that if he could just wipe them out if he wanted to? Well, I mean, think about it. When you want to retaliate against someone, isn't it better just to make them look the fool before you finish them off? Well, we tend to do that a lot of times and think that. And we try to make somebody look as foolish as possible before we really move in for the final blow to show that we've got some kind of power. And that's the flesh. That's what we call the flesh. So, you know, he, he starts to play this game. Hey, guys, let's make a deal. Nahash in the Hebrew means serpent or snake. 
And the word Ammonite means descendant of Ammon. So this would be Lot's grandson. You guys remember Lot. He was one of, the, one of Abraham's descendants, right? And you're like, oh, wait a minute. How can this happen? This is like a family feud. But we all know we go back to the same parents, Adam and Eve. So we're all related. We all have the same strands of DNA. It's just a little twisted one from another. And so here, he's, this is Lot's, you know, one of Lot's grandsons. And so it's a close relative. They come to make trouble. Anybody ever had that happen? You get saved or you just come home from church and a close relative starts to show up and pick at you and, and prod and, and maybe even bully you a little bit. Oh, I can't believe you go to church. Really, you believe all that stuff? Uh, how can you believe that stuff? How, 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 do you, how do you figure that works? And you just kind of like, man, I just had the, you know, the joy of the Lord just left because we're about to go out in the front yard and tangle up a little bit. And so we tend to compromise. We just quietly sit back and we might take it. We'll let them go ahead and pluck out our right eye. And you might think, well, what's the big deal with the right eye? Well, here's the big deal. When in these days when you fought, usually most people were right-handed. And still today, a lot of people are right-handed. And you would hold your shield with your left hand and you would hide your left eye and your with your shield over your left eye so your right eye was your sight and you would fight with that now if you were left-handed it would be the opposite way so if he plucks out their right eye they no longer can go to war they're not going to be very effective if they do because their shield is in their hand or they'd have to retrain themselves and they would be using that right hand. So probably Dehash's plan was, we'll go ahead and pluck out the right eye, make them our slaves for a little while, and then we get tired of them, we'll go to war with them, and we'll for sure have a victory. And so that's what happens here. They make this deal, they want to make a deal, and so this would mean, you know, a never-ending subservience. And so, you know, again, the right eye. So the shield was more for defense. So these guys, if they lose a right eye, they can't swing the sword. And so the sword... It's an offensive weapon. You swing a sword, you charge somebody. You don't bat things away with it and try to hit something because it's not very thick. It's not very big. And so basically they wouldn't be good and they would always be reactive rather than proactive in battle if this was the case. So often there are so many Christians today who cower in fear and hide behind the shield when it comes to the defending of their faith, discussing evolution or, or versus creation. You know, we, we tend to hide behind that shield and we don't even have a right eye. We, we react more. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that guy would ask those questions. We have no sword to swing at them. But we're told to put on the whole armor of God. The shield is our faith. It quenches those fiery arrows, as the New Testament tells us. And so, you know, and the, the sword is the word of God and we're swinging it. Yet, as the church, as Christians, we tend not to know it very well. Oh, we tend to just kind of sit and listen and expect that it's all going to happen on one day out of the week or maybe two days out of the week. And you've got to use the sword if you're going to be offensive. If you're going to be proactive, you've got to swing the sword, the word of the Lord. And so sometimes we can do that. You don't always have to swing it with Revelation 19 verse 1 says. You can just say it and watch what people do because they'll agree with it. But the minute you let them know it's from the Bible, then they'll want to disagree. But I like to just say, hey, here's what, you know, I give it to them. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, you agree with that? Yeah, that came from the Bible. Oh, 
Now where do you go? You just agreed with it. You just said, yeah, you liked what it said. And so sometimes we tend not to do things like that. We tend to cower and hide behind the shield and just rely on our faith. Oh, Lord, I I believe in you, Lord. That's okay, and I'm just going to hide and cower. And we're not called to be cowards. So the sword talks about creation, his word, God's word. The sword talks about creation. And that sword is used to rescue and, and, and to do a charge to be on the offensive. And so Nahash was not primarily concerned with making disabled veterans. That wasn't his main concern. He was set on disgracing the whole land of Israel. He was set on making them an embarrassment to the land. And so Satan wants to do the same thing to you and me. He he wants you to be disgraced. And think about it as a Christian. When you let somebody know you're a Christian and somebody comes up against you with a great argument and you can't argue back because you either, one, don't know the word or they'll give you a verse out of the Bible that's really twisted and it sounds like it came from the Bible and you're just like, I didn't know that was in there. And you can't refute it. Then Satan is like, look, I've disgraced this guy. And that non-believer... Or that person who's decided to turn his back on God is like, told you. I'm smarter than you. And so we as Christians tend to be seen as, I used to see Christians as wimpy, ineffective. What's the use? Why do you even burn or waste your time on Sundays showing up to a building singing songs to a God that doesn't exist that was my thought until I got saved. Basically, Satan's not afraid of the battle. He's not afraid of the battle or he wouldn't send the people to battle you. See, and it's not the battle that we need to be afraid of. Because if you took the time to study and research and pray, then you could possibly win the battle. You would at least, at the very worst, call it a draw. If you could answer all the questions. Satan wants every Christian to look ignorant. When we can't give a defense for the hope that's in us. And we compromise with the thinking that they won't believe. That's what we do. We tend to compromise. Well, why? They're not going to believe anyway. I know that guy. He's not going to believe. They sound smarter. Or they, they have more degrees. Or they go to college. None of that matters. So we make a deal not to discuss our faith. We decide that. We make that decision sometimes before we leave the house. Maybe some of us have made that decision in our life for the rest of our life. We've heard it said, never discuss religion and politics. Man, I love discussing both of those things. Because it's not true that you don't do that in a family gathering. If you care, if you love for have a love for a person, a friend, then you will discuss those things and ask them, hey, if you were to die today, where would you go? If you were to die when you left this church today, where would you go? And if you say, I don't know, I suppose heaven, those aren't very positive answers. I mean, it's the same thing if I said, hey, where do you live? You could tell me exactly. Or some of you like, hey, today after church, where are you going? I'm going to go to Willie's Ice House and eat burgers or crawfish or whatever. You know where you're going. You definitely know where you're going and how to get there. But yet, when it comes to the death scenario, we don't know how to get to heaven. Or we're not sure. Well, I'm basically a good person. Well, the Bible disagrees with you wholeheartedly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And none of us are. Well, we're nice. You're likable. But if you were to die today, where would you go? And so here we have this enemy wanting to make a deal. That's what Satan wants to do. Hey, I'll make a deal. You go to church. I'll leave you alone. You keep your mouth shut and don't bring any more defectors over and any more people. We don't want anyone defecting from our side. And we'll go ahead and just leave you alone. And so you're like, all right. That sounds good. Because comfort is my desire. And, hey, when I have problems in my life, oh. But we know that's just the enemy. And we know that sometimes Jesus had even sent his disciples into some tough situations. Hey, you know, we pray, Lord, make me stronger. How do we get stronger? If you were to be a little skinny 90-pound weakling and you wanted to be stronger, what would you do to grow muscles? Lift weights. Is lifting weights easy? It gets harder and harder the bigger you want your muscles. you got to lift more weight. So God says, hey... You prayed to be stronger, here's a weight. Take it. Take that struggle and pull. And I'm there with you. I'll get you through it. I'm your coach. You need to be looking to me, and I'll tell you how to get out of that. Or give me patience. And so he says, okay, wait in that long line over there that's wrapped around the building eight times. You want patience? You'll learn it there. He just doesn't give it wrapped up in a gift, and you get it, and you're a patient, strong Christian. You got to go through things. We got to go through things. And so, what can you do to deal with the enemy? Take some time. That's what we see. So, here we have the enemy wanting to make a deal, and so they need to take some time. Look at verse 3. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off. They're taking some time. Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there's no one to save us, we will come out to you. So they take some time. They, they don't just rush into this deal. I mean, it, I find it odd when I read it that they would even consider it. That they would even consider letting this guy be like, man, you're not taking my eye. We're good. I'm just, I'd rather be dead than lose an eye. But for me personally, my right eye is so bad, he could take it, and I would, I'd still be able to function the same way. It would just be a little darker on this side. I wouldn't see these people, but I could see you. I just can't see you clearly when I shut the left eye. There's just one big, there's no eyes. There's just skin. I'm like, whoa, that's weird. So they consider this. Okay, look, give us seven days. They take some time. So time is a good thing. You'll always hear me say there's nothing wrong with time. Time is a good thing. And so gather your resources. When the enemy attacks and you really don't know what you have at your advantage, sometimes taking some time allows you to sit back and kind of just take an inventory and see what you have that could help you out. So they slow down. See, what the enemy does not know is that Saul is waiting in the wings, and once they discover that Saul is there, it's not going to be to their victory, it'll be to their defeat. But Saul doesn't even know at this point. Does Jabesh know this? No, no way. The city of Jabesh doesn't know this. But the one wise thing they do is they take a moment to send out some messengers. They pray. They call for help. Sometimes we get into a situation and the first thing we do is like, oh, I, I got to do this. And, and here's this plan. And well, let me call this other guy. He'll know what to do. And we call these other people. But yet we don't take any time to pray. And we just try to rush into the situation as quick as possible. 
And the second thing they do is they find faith. They find some faith. Fear does not allow for faith. Fear looks for quick results. Fear looks for a fast, easy, quick result. The other day, a little girl fell and split her chin open, and it was deep enough to need stitches. And everybody could have rushed over and been, here's a gauze bandage, and let's just wrap her whole head and made her look like the mummy. And it was like, okay, let's take some time and go find what we need to find, some butterfly band-aids and some neosporin, and we'll just squeeze it together and we'll zip it up. But, you know, rushing the first thing, okay, you know, all the little kids were running and getting paper towels for their friend. Wrap it around her head. But, see, it's a great thing because sometimes that's what happens in our lives is these bad things happen and we start to rush towards this insight. We, don't, we take no time to pray. None at all. And then we, we make this really bad decision that seemed very good at the moment. And then after that bad decision comes, God, why would you allow that to happen? He's like, hey, bro, I was sitting here the whole time just waiting for you to ask me what I thought. I've seen people rush into some crazy stuff. They're terrified, they're confused, and they make bad decisions. Have you ever been there? Have you ever noticed when you just take a moment to step back away from the issue, the circumstance, or the situation at hand that sometimes if you just give it a little time, it works itself out, and other times you, you pray, and then all of a sudden these things start to come together slowly but surely, maybe not in your time, but in God's time. I've discovered that very rarely that a wise decision is a quick decision. Very rarely a wise decision is a quick decision. The reason I know this is because if you study the life of Christ, you'll note that he, you never see him rushing. You never see him rushing. His buddy Lazarus, he gets news, hey, Lazarus is dying. All right, chill out. We'll get there. And they show up when he's dead. He didn't drop what he was doing to rush out and do something else. Or in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, all these people are coming for healing. And Jesus is healing them. And then it gets nighttime. Everybody goes home. And early in the morning he wakes up and he goes and he's praying. And nobody can find him. And they're in a panic. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? How many churches, how many people are yelling that this day? Where's Jesus when I need him? All the sick people come back to the house. So the disciples go look for him and they find him. And they're like, there you are, where you been? We've been up here praying. We gotta get back to the house. All these sick people are there. No, we gotta go to the next town and preach the gospel. Thank you for tuning in again today to come alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of First Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. 
Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katy at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.